0: Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only a total wine and more. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly B21. Hi, I'm Kristen McGlory, lifelong genius hunter. For a decade, I've been unearthing the recipes that have changed the way we cook. Now, on the Genius Recipe Tapes, we go behind the scenes with the geniuses themselves. This week, I sat down with Nicole Taylor, whose latest book, Watermelon and Redbirds, a cookbook for Juneteenth and Black celebrations, is filled with recipes for summer gatherings and stories and essays that honor the legacy of Juneteenth the holiday that marks the date of June 19th, 1865, when word finally reached Galveston, Texas, that all enslaved people were free, more than two years after Abraham Lincoln had signed the Emancipation Proclamation. In this episode, Nicole tells us more about how she wove history and tradition into the joyful, creative recipes that she dreamed up for this book, including a rainbow of refreshing red cocktails and an especially surprising and delightful ingredient in her pound cake and the whipped cream. But before all of that, we had to start at the beginning and talk a little bit about why Nicole wanted to write this book in the first place.
1: You know, it's so funny because my house, my apartment, my dorm room has always been the place where people gathered, where I had a hard time getting people out of my room or out of the house because (laughs) they were having such a good time and people are always relaxed. And I've always been known as a person who had great food and great drinks, great conversation um, and great people at the table. And I never saw that as a thing until the last few years. I didn't realize that when I'm putting my scarf on at night after having a party and people are still there, I'm like, these people are still here. I'm like getting in my pajamas. Will they go home? (laughs) I didn't realize that that's a gift, you know, that is something super special. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I started writing about Juneteenth foods in 2017, although I had produced a little content around um, Juneteenth, but it was very low fi, and it was me just telling simple stories around um, my celebrations or other people I were friends with or colleagues who celebrated Juneteenth. But after 2017, I wrote a piece for the Times, and my agent was like, "You should write a Juneteenth cookbook," and I, I was like, eh, "Really? <laughs> I thought it was too. I thought it was too niche. I thought like it was not a holiday that was on the tongs of." many Black Americans and Americans, period. And I started working on the proposal. But to be honest with you, it wasn't until the summer of 2020, until the the killing of George Floyd and the racial reckoning and the uprisings that I knew for certain that watermelon and red birds needed to be in the world. It was an important book for Americans and an important book for Black Americans. I knew that putting this cookbook out in the world would bring joy. It would give people a roadmap of how to host celebrations and give people a peek into Black culture and Black life as it relates to the dinner table.
0: One of the early chapters, Red Drinks, it just feels like such a perfect showcase of the creativity that you brought to this book since... The red drinks, you know, there's so many different styles of very like quenching, satisfying summer drinks, but also the red color comes from so many different sources. So, you know, everything from strawberry to hibiscus to marigold to quick pickled blueberry brine. Would you mind sharing a little bit more about what red drinks on Juneteenth symbolize and maybe describe a couple of your favorite recipes from this chapter?
1: Red drinks are so special for black people globally. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize uh, really late in life the importance of that red punch that showed up at every celebration in my childhood and even in my adulthood. I just thought like, oh, someone's making a punch, Hawaiian punch or Kool-Aid or some kind of soda. And they're putting it in a big fancy bowl and adding dollops of sherbet to it. I just thought that's what people did. It was probably like 10 or 15 years ago, you know, hearing so many scholars and historians explain the global connection of red drink, the global black connection of red drink that I was like, ah, ding, ding, ding. And that connection is, you know, one example is that if you go to Senegal, the official drink of Senegal, which is a West African country, is bissap. BESOP is steeped, hibiscus, dried or fresh, steeped in water, um, maybe add some sugar and some spices. That same steep hibiscus can be found in the Caribbean and places like Martinique. It can be found in Brazil. And that same drink, the ritual of it and uh, the look of it, pretty much in the DNA of Black people globally. And during the transatlantic slave trade the forced migration of black people to the americas in plantation or southern cookbooks Mm -hmm. you see writers say that enslaved people on plantations would have strawberry lemonade or some variation of a red drink during their special celebrations and so Here we are in 2022 and I am putting watermelon and ginger beer on my table because my great-grandfather or great-grandmother did the same thing. And so that is the connection of black people, the red drink. And some scholars and historians even say that it's symbolic of the sacrifice of the bloodshed. I believe all that. I I believe that red is a very powerful color. I love it. I love a red lipstick. It is a it, it's a very striking, powerful color, and just to know that little bit of history, it it keeps me moving with the red drink for for special occasions for sure. I knew I was like I got to do a chapter on red drinks. That was certain. I was like, but can I really come up with um uh, more than one or two red drinks? Uh, and I did it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you
0: definitely did. They just kept coming.
1: I love the Marigold Sour is one of my favorite drinks um, in the red drink chapter. Uh, The sweet potato spritz. I'm going to have to say, Kristen, that's my favorite. Yeah. Yes. I love the sweet potato spritz because it's so rooted in the African-American table. It's so rooted in what many Americans have at Thanksgiving or Christmas, sweet potato pie or pumpkin pie. I always have a sweet potato pie during the holidays or the fall winter months. And I also always make a sweet potato, simple syrup, which is sweet potatoes, water, sugar, and all of the spices or many of the spices that people put in their sweet potato. So I remember when I was like ideating and trying to add more recipes to this red drink chapter, I was like, oh, I have some sweet potato syrup in the fridge. Can I do anything with that? And I'm like, oh my gosh. I should make a sweet potato spritz. Yeah, you know, spritz as in aperitivo Italian spritz. So I added sweet potato syrup, cappelletti, which is red in color, a little vodka. Someone asked me, why did you have vodka? I was like, because it doesn't taste like anything. I didn't put gin in it. And (laughs) uh, sparkling white wine and an orange slice. And so for me, that drink is rooted in the African-American table because of the sweet potato.
0: And when you drink it, does it taste like sort of a sweet potato pie in in summer form?
1: No, I would say when I drink it, it tastes like five o'clock. It tastes like, <laughs> <laughs> it tastes like, um because it's not a very sweet drink, but it definitely tastes like a really chill day. It makes me super relaxed. And I think that Juneteenth, And the summer and a lot of black celebration is about leaning into rest. And honestly, that drink makes me feel very sophisticated, like I'm on vacation.
0: I love the idea of, you know, reframing those like warming spices and and sweet potatoes in a summer context and bringing that relaxation. Because there's a different kind of relaxation that comes with Thanksgiving. It's not as chill.
1: (sighs) Listen. (laughs) My husband jokes. He's like, "Uh, Thanksgiving is like the Super Bowl for food people." I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> you spend day, you spend basically seven days prepping and or cooking." So mm-hmm. the summer should be chill. Your your mm-hmm. summer celebrations should feel like a vacation.
0: Hi, it's Kristen. We'll be back with more from Nicole Taylor, author of Watermelon and Redbirds, in just a moment. We're back with Nicole Taylor, author of Watermelon and Redbirds. So the recipes in this book are like clearly, like you just described, very modern and playful. Um, But then your headnotes and essays are very much rooted in Black history and often people and specific events that you wanted to honor. How did you decide how you wanted to navigate between the historical and the modern for this book?
1: There was a two-step process for coming up with the recipes, and that was I made a spreadsheet of summertime fruits and vegetables and herbs. And I also color-coded them, right? That was step number one. (laughs) Number two um, in the recipe process was making sure that I added fruits and vegetables that were rooted in the African-American table. So that meant me Mm -hmm. circling to all of my cookbooks from Jessica Harris to Edna Lewis to Bryant Terry to Adrian Miller, to Michael Twitty to make sure that I had enough fruits and vegetables that fit on the Black table, the Black American table. So that's how I approach the recipes. And so it was super important for me to have this balance of fun, of rest, of relaxation, of family, of friends, of gathering with some very painful American history, right? Mm -hmm. I have a beautiful chapter uh, called Fairs and Festival or really Festivals and Fairs where I talk about my love for funnel cake and there's a gorgeously styled funnel cake recipe. But I had to talk about the Texas State Fair, which is one of the largest state fairs in the country and how for many decades there was one night where black people could go and take their families. And so I talk about that in the essay and I talk about it in the head notes and it was super important that I did it. No, I'm not trying to be a historian. I'm not a historian. I'm a master home cook who reads and I enjoy history and history, American history um, is important to me and black history is important to me. So I wanted to give enough context that people, if they wanted to know more about the Texas State Fair and how this, this event has evolved, they could do further research. (laughs) But I hope I was successful in giving folks enough to understand that things Mm -hmm. weren't always um, peachy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's how I approach the head notes. Some head notes are full of history and some of them are just straight up funny stories. (laughs) So I'm trying to set people up to, to be master home cooks in addition to giving them a little history. But I had to strike a balance. And I remember going through the book and saying, how many um, anecdotes do I have, which are stories? How many historical stories do I have? How many tips am I giving people? Because I wanted to balance it all out in the cookbook um, and not just be lump on either of those things.
0: I love it. It's so It's so rich in both of those things. Having read a lot of cookbooks and worked on cookbooks, you know, there are some that are, that feel like they're kind of like, they're full of things to discover. And like you said, like paths to keep following down in your own research, if you, if you choose. And then there are others that, you know, that's not their, their intent. They're just more, more minimalist. And I love that there's just, you know, you could read through this book over and over and discover new things every time. All your lists sound like a brilliant way to do it. And even like to the, the fruits and vegetables, the color code, when you said color coding, you meant literally like making sure there was like purple vegetables and green vegetables and red, like all of that, that's, that's brilliant. Especially when you're trying to write a cookbook sort of quickly.
1: Yeah, it was quickly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, listen, yeah, I did that. Isn't that crazy? I wanted to make sure like, did I exhaust every single red fruit and vegetable that fits into the summer months? I didn't get beets in there. Did you notice that? I didn't.
0: Because you you filled the the red, um, you know there was so much red in the book from other sources that I never would have thought of. You didn't even need beets.
1: And who really eats beets in the summertime? <laughs> that that's my logic. I'm like, oh, I've never really had beets in the summer. Maybe pickled. I mean, I do think you know people like pickled beets in the summer. I would eat a pickled beet in the summertime. But I didn't make. I didn't put it in the book because it felt very much like a fall winter thing.
0: You didn't need it. Didn't miss it. Okay. I wanted to talk about the radish ginger pound
1: cake. Oh my gosh. The radish ginger pound cake. (laughs) Wozer. That's so up. That's so up your alley, right?
0: I love it. It absolutely jumped out to me because like, I love seeing something unexpected in the cake. Uh, But I also, you know, the radish and the pound cake is one thing, but then you put radish in the whipped cream too. So I would love to hear the story about that recipe.
1: (laughs) I love a pound cake. I feel like I have mastered pound cake in various forms. In my first cookbook, the Up South cookbook, I have a lemon pound cake that people love. It is a cream cheese based pound cake. I got that recipe from my aunt a million gazillion years ago. And I've riffed off that pound cake in so many different ways. I've done it in rows and then I like switch up how much sugar I put in or a topping. And I sat down and said, this cookbook has to have a pound cake like Black celebrations in Juneteenth, always you're gonna see a pound cake at the table. And typically it's like a lemon or just a regular straight up sour cream or cream cheese. But I'm like, what can I do? How can I make this different? And literally I looked around my fridge, I'm like, could I put radish in this? I probably tested this cake so many times, so many different variations, but it was me looking in my fridge saying, I'm gonna grate some radish and put it in this batter. When you use radish when in the batter, you can't really taste it. I feel like it just mm-hmm. gives this little texture, but the flavor, in my opinion, is in the whipped cream. The mm-hmm. radish flavor—you really taste it in the whipped cream. And what does the
0: whipped cream taste like with the rad? Like, what is mm. what is that radish flavor bringing to the whipped cream?
1: It is bringing a sharpness. Like no other, it mm-hmm. is not sweet because all mm-hmm. this most of the sweetness or all the sweetness is, is in the cake. And so you get this tang almost almost like um, you know how people like the lemon on the lemon pound cake and they like to see the zest. I feel like the radish acts as a zest almost. Mm. And that's the best way I can describe it if you were doing a cream and you're like, oh, let me zest a little grapefruit in here or a little lime and you get one little piece of it and you're like, oh, this brightens it up. Yeah, that is what the radish and the fresh ginger is to me. It acts as almost citrus, a very citrusy whipped topping or whipped cream would do.
0: And it kind of takes something that assertive to make whipped cream, like heavy whipping cream, taste fresh and bright for summertime. That last chapter in your book is about bringing the joy and the care and the reflection of Juneteenth into everyday life. What was it that made you want to end on that note? And how do you hope to see that play out for cooks at home?
1: I read that chapter essay, the essay that starts everyday Juneteenth out loud for my first book event at Greenlight bookstore in Brooklyn. And I could barely get through it. That was the first time reading it aloud. And I didn't realize I would get so emotional Mm. because it's so important for Black Americans, really all Americans, but Black Americans to take the essence of Juneteenth, the hope of freedom, the hope of equality, the memories of our aunts, uncles, our grandparents, their sacrifices, their triumphs into our daily lives. It's so important that we remember them and bring joy into our daily lives. So what I wanted to do in that chapter is to say that every day can feel like a celebration. It doesn't have to be fireworks, but you can have five minutes, 30 minutes or an hour that feels very special. And here are some recipes that I make <laughs> on a weeknight. When I need a boost, when I need to bring some joy Mm -hmm. into my life, the pretzel crusted chicken thigh or chicken breast reminds me of Sunday dinner, Sunday fried chicken without, you know, (laughs) the hours of brining the chicken and the ritual of frying in, you know, a big cast iron pan. I just came up with a simple form where I can just make on up for a weeknight meal. And I wanted that sh- chapter to feel special, but also feel uh, super easy on a Saturday morning when you want to make some waffles. Here's a great waffle recipe. So yeah, that chapter, the goal was to share how I seize the day, how I carpe diem, things that make me happy, things that remind me of my family, my friends, of Things that keep me grounded in this world, this country can be better for my son.
0: Thanks for listening. And my thanks to Nicole Taylor, the author of Watermelon and Redbirds, a cookbook for Juneteenth and Black Celebrations, which is in bookstores now. This week's episode was put together by me, Kristen McGlory executive producer, Harry Sultan, and with post-production by Crutch Fraze Studios. If you have a favorite recipe that is a staple at your summer celebrations, I would love to hear about it at geniusfood 52com or just tag me on Instagram at McGlorious. And if you like the Genius Recipe Tapes podcast, the very best thing that you can do to support us and to help other people find our show is to take a moment to leave us a five-star rating and a review. Or send this episode to someone who would love to learn more about Juneteenth and how to bring the joy of it into their everyday life. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon.